1: Welcome to Through the Keyhole, your favorite OU podcast, and thank you for joining us on this lovely afternoon. Uh, I am Peyton Guthrie, one of the hosts, joined as always by Brady Trantham, Alan Kinney, and producer Matt Burden. But before we start, I'd like to mention our Patreon over at patreon.com slash through the keyhole where we have multiple podcasts, uh, articles, and film reviews to so kind of quicken this off-season before the 2023 season kicks off against Arkansas State, which Brady has decided to skip. Uh, also, a huge shout-out to our title sponsor, Vanessa House. I'm not, skipping it, House. Now. I'm not, not skipping, skipping it now.
2: Uh, no, it's at 11. Update. It's at 11 in the morning. I thought it was at night. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be in Norman for that one. So, But but please continue, Peyton. You're talking about something more important.
1: But also, huge shout-out to our title sponsor, Vanessa House in Oklahoma City, for supporting us and scratch kitchen and cocktails are classing up the joint. Uh, with all that said, how's everyone's weekend going, uh, Brady? You seem to have some news there. He, this was behind behind the behind the paywalls, paywall, paywall. Uh, the one on one conversations you can get with Brady for five hundred dollars a month. Uh, talking
2: about skipping out of Oklahoma and skipping the opening game. But it seems like you're you're still going to watch it. Well, first of all, like I think I'm probably more interesting than Quinn Ewers. What, what's the going rate on like just meeting and talking to him? a month to talk to me, I can, I'm more interesting than that guy. Seriously. Is that really what he's charging? Yeah. It was some NIL thing where, you know, Yeah, I saw that
3: he signed like a meet and greet type thing, right?
2: Yeah. And it was much cheaper for children, which (laughs) if anybody would want, should want to pay to meet the starting quarterback at the university of Texas for now, um, it would be kids Uh, as somebody in Matt you'll know this. Um, Alan, I don't necessarily know your history, uh, in terms of interviewing players. I'm sure you've talked to a handful of players during your day though. Um, Peyton, you've done a lot of, um, uh, interviews with play- athletes. You're in your own, right. But they're not the most interesting people to talk to all the time. And I don't care who you are starting QB one at uh, the university of Texas, five, $2,000. <laughs> Screw that man. Like, what's he going to say? Uh, Yeah like we're going to be like real excited and play really hard this year and we're like trying to win the Big 12 like oh yeah that's that's great but yeah they, you're right $35 for
1: children 244 for adults and there are <laughs> VIP tickets for $2000 um uh,
2: have at it texas fans going to go to that mullet grease um,
0: yeah. VIP, he gets to throw you a couple passes. You get to live out your dream <laughs> um, <laughs> in the stadium. Quinn,
2: there. Pay two thousand dollars so Quinn Ewers can overthrow you while you're <laughs> wide open. <laughs> Hits forty-nine to nothing, Texas against OU, and it could have been sixty-five to nothing. But uh, you know, oh well, oh well. But no, I guess I'm gonna go to the game this time in against Arkansas State. I, I got my schedules mixed up. Hey, that happens, Matt. How's it going, man? How's Spark doing?
1: Uh,
0: They're doing well, man. They're doing well. Uh, I believe they beat the uh, Texas Smoke today. So, yeah, you can hear that on uh, 107.7 The Franchise, man. We all uh, care about it, as said uh, by Peyton Guthrie a couple episodes ago. Uh, Everyone is tuned in. Everyone is loving OKC Spark softball. But, no, doing good, man. Doing really good. Haven't done a damn thing this weekend. It's great. I'm trying to, you know, keep those weekends as light as possible until it comes football season when I will be as busy as possible.
1: And then Alan, I know you had an eventful weekend. I thought I saw you on the water slide uh, picture uh, on the back half uh, with
3: Hunter, Uh, but how was your weekend besides uh, (laughs) the the water park visit? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that would have been fun, but uh, no, I'm, I'm good, man. Did you know there's a professional cricket league in the United States? I I didn't know about it either until this morning I was watching uh, Djokovic and uh, Alcaraz uh, Wimbledon final and uh, scrolling through the live betting options and all of a sudden professional cricket U.S. cricket pops up there's a team from Dallas there's one from LA I mean I don't know if you guys have ever like actually witnessed cricket or whatever but God it's terrible. Like, I, I don't know what it would, you know. i
2: was in scotland what about a month ago and in Edinburgh they had this gigantic park in the middle of uh um the city town center and uh well first of all Edinburgh is a complete trash heap don't go there if you're trying to go to scotland go other places uh but the this little park was really cool but it was just literally a big grass field and they were just pockets of like five to 10 people all sitting down just hanging out but there was an entire cricket game going on and i just had the zero clue of like who is what is going on what who is doing what is there an offense is there is there a special teams i don't know i don't really follow soccer but i can i can understand what's going on (laughs) from a strategic standpoint but cricket i was like what the fuck is this but you know it, it works for them you know it doesn't have to work for us but I mean, Alan, that is just complete another like July sports in America. If I've ever heard it, <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. Like this
2: those, time of like ESPN is like, please college football, please get here.
0: Those Dallas cricket games can also be heard on 1077 seven, the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <I was kidding. laughs>
1: And if you'd like to let us know how to play cricket, email us at keyhole at gmail.com. <laughs> please explain it to us. <laughs> uh, I know they have like that medieval calculator thing that a ball sets on or something. I'm not entirely for sure. Um, uh, but also uh, in talking about a sport that probably shouldn't be a sport that I've recently bought the equipment to start playing your boys entering uh, a, a local pickleball league so prepare yourselves uh for the dreadfulness of me having stories about how my elbow hurts from having to move left to right within the 3 foot box <laughs> going to get that pickle elbow uh Anyway, guys, we have a a jam-packed show today, mainly talking about the Big 12 Media Days. I say mainly, it's like 95% of the Big 12 Media Days is what we're talking about. Luckily, there's a lot of storylines to come out of here. Uh, But first, I want to kind of catch our general thoughts um, on on how all this kind of went down. And and I'll start us off. The thing that really kind of caught my eye was that there's a a lot of talk about how this is the Big 12. It's not just two teams. Texas know you're leaving. But every single coach and every single player was asked, "What do you guys think about Oklahoma and Texas leaving the conference?" I mean, it's like nonstop barrage on that, uh, you know, a barrage on these players and coaches who really shouldn't care but have to come up with some sort of opinion about leaving. You know, Mike Gundy embarrass himself, which we'll talk about a little bit later. In my opinion, uh, but the major takeaway I took for me as an OU fan was Brent Venables' demeanor. He seemed much more subdued. <laughs> As much as he could be subdued, especially compared to last year's uh, version of this, where he's just wide-eyed, bouncing around, looks like he just had like five Red Bulls before he entered, uh, walked onto the stage. Uh, that's something that really took away from me. And I don't know how much you can really look into those types of things, but really kind of gets me thinking, okay, maybe the house isn't quite on fire as much as it was last year. <laughs> he's able to calm down a little bit. But Alan, what are your general thoughts on, on the media days? How much were you able to interact with it? of you know consuming the content.
3: Oh yeah, I mean I you know in and out. Um you know I never trust anything coaches have to say publicly ever. So for me it's kind of just like you know I mean it's just kind of whatever, you know. I mean most of the time these end up being like not even reading like a depth chart but like listening to coaches just kind of run down the roster of players, you know, I mean, mentioning guys by name, that's about it, you know? So I really didn't take a lot out of it in that regard. And, you know, I mean, I think to their credit, I think that the big 12 leadership, you know, Brett Yormark and what have you have done a solid job kind of rallying um, the, the schools around the idea of, you know, having a, a conference identity and, you know, I mean, uh a lot of them really do have stuff to be proud of. I mean if you look at it, you know I mean TCU got they won a playoff game, you know, uh you got you know schools like Kansas State that won the won the conference last year. So I mean, you know, Baylor's not that far off from a conference title. Like, you know, I mean there's there is there are definitely achievements there for them to kind of hang their hats on. And uh, you know, make sure that everybody knows in their minds that the the sky really isn't falling, that there's, you know, tomorrow will be, you know, they'll they'll still wake up when OU and Texas leaves and, uh, you know, play sports. Brady, I know
1: you've had a little bit more uh, vitriol in some of our, our group group texts and group chats uh, just generally about how OU was somewhat kind of portrayed, OU Texas was somewhat portrayed via the media days and stuff. I mean, what are your general overall perspective of that? You know, as Alan mentioned, if Connor Neer actually <laughs> plays uh, substantial snaps for University of Oklahoma, I think we're in some big issues. Even though Brent seems to think he's his favorite player on the team, I mean, you know, being a former mem- member of the media, what do you, what do you take from this from, from Media Days? And What are your general thoughts on? Them?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all. I don't have a problem with the Big Twelve or any Big Twelve teams not named OU in Texas, you know, talking positively about either their program's uh future in the Big Twelve or just the Big 12's um trajectory, um being positive about it. Like I- I'm not I'm not disparaging that. They should be happy, they should be excited about this future with these four new teams, and especially without OU in the conference to bully them, um, without Texas to Um, I I do whatever Texas has been doing in the last 10 years to the rest of the big 12, um, outside of Oklahoma. But what I do have a problem with is just, I mean, taking the opportunity to just shat upon Oklahoma and, and Texas, Typically, like coaches don't talk about other programs. Like, it's like, hey, I'll, like I can talk about my program, my team, my players, whatever it may be. You know, OU did what they wanted to do. Texas did what they wanted to do. And we're just going to do with what we can and uh, succeed. Because, the, I mean, OU and Texas did not go to the playoff last year. You could have said that and that would have been fine. But, I mean, we got a guy like Sonny Dykes up here just absolutely thinking that it's still 2022 and that everything he will do will work and everything he say will work um i i don't know uh did joey maguire say anything disparaging about texas at all like did i don't think i saw anything yeah and you want to know why it's because Joey McGuire is smart and he probably thinks, you know, at some point, if this, the whole thing doesn't work with Sark, I could be the next Texas head coach. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and not say anything bad about Texas going to the sec. Sonny Dyke Dykes on the other hand is like, no, screw them. Blah, 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 blah. Like whatever he said about, um, OU in Texas, like, bro, do you think you're just going to be at TCU your entire career and win at I... the rate that you did last year? Cause it ain't going to work. It ain't going to happen. So, uh, if you, talk crap about Texas, like, do you think they're going to want to hire you? So, I don't really understand it. Uh, Sonny Dykes should just take his luckiest season in college football history uh, with a smile and move on. Because do you really want to piss off OU and Texas in their last season? Does OU care about TCU? No, but you know what? I think Brett Venables might care about them now uh, once they, especially once they get there. It's like, hey, this is what this guy said about you, uh, you all back in uh, july so just say what you i guess take the opportunity and that's what they're doing that's what mike gundy did when he reminded everybody about this whole bedlam narrative that he wants to keep talking about even though oh, OU made the sec decision completely independent of oklahoma state in that they did not think about them it's like we could keep playing if you want to if not we're gonna go do something good for us so if you want to keep painting us as the bad guy mike so be it. But I mean, we all know you're going to suck when you play us like you always do, like your fan base knows that it's going um, that it's going to. So it's just a whole bunch of unnecessary jabbing because OU was bad on their own last year. You shouldn't be worried about them if they're as bad as some people think they are or as bad of a coach. Brent Venables could be, you know, you, you should be fine. But uh, I guess they're just taking a lot of these coaches are just taking their opportunities uh, to jab OU in Texas when they can.
3: Well, and of all the programs too, to take a shot. I mean, TCU was in like three different conferences in the span of 18 months, like less than 10 years ago. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like I mean, the, I mean, the examples you brought up about like Missouri and I mean, has anybody had like a, a bigger come up from switching conferences than AM? Like at least in terms of maybe not performance wise, but you know they're more in the conversation now as part of the sec than they ever were back in the big 12 when they were just kind of an afterthought, you know I mean? Yeah. Like of all that was the part I was just like, are you kidding me?
2: Yeah. And it was just, I mean, you pointed it out on Twitter, Alan, where like, I I think Sonny Dyke said something like, or was it your Mark who said Missouri, I don't remember Missouri playing for big 12 championships that often. And, uh, or, that they haven't played for mm-hmm. sec titles that often, but they were competing for big Twelve championships. It's like, no, they've been in the sec title game as many times as they were in the yeah, Big 12 championship. It, exactly, yeah. And they lost all four of them. So, you know, it's like, it's the thing about A&M and Missouri is it's a small sample size. And what we're really focusing on is just the optics of their programs. Missouri doesn't really have any good optics right now. We're about to get a few of their recruits uh, in state once again, <laughs> Um, but a and M in terms of just the perception of their program is much higher. Like you said, uh, Alan, than it was in the big 12, they were just another school, a second tier, third tier school in the big 12. Uh, but now that they got that patch on their Jersey. They're able to recruit at a higher level and give people the thought that, well, they should be good this year. Cause look at all this talent that they have. But it, if, again, if you just look at the history of their program, that that talent is pretty similar to what they basically have in any given year, any given era, any given decade. They always have talent, but they're just run by children and don't know what winning is. so you know doesn't matter what conference they're in. Now to give Sonny a little bit of grace, I'll go ahead and read his full quote uh, and
1: then kind of give a uh, some context to it. Uh, Sonny Dyke's quote, if it's all about lining your pockets with money, the decisions are really easy. Missouri was playing was playing in a lot of Big Twelve championships. Uh, they haven't seen that uh, that much in SEC. A M was a competitive program, not as often now. I don't know about you, but UCLA and Rutgers don't feel like a natural rivalry to me. Now he does have some points there, especially about the UCLA and you know Rutgers. I think that's just you know coast to coast in that way. I do not. I don't know. I mean, I, to me, I think the SEC has done a better job of expanding while keeping some level of regionality to it you know the big 10 is just full coast to coast at that point in time which kind of rough but to give context to it you got to remember uh when fisher was in uh jimbo fisher was in fort worth at a thing he said quote unquote uh about tcu they stayed healthy they had a lot of experience they got to where they got to and then when they ran into the sec it changed didn't it when they got to the sec it changed so you have to you have to remember any time a coach gets in front of a microphone, what are they doing? Recruiting.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, I, and I you're going to sit there and I, t- it's wrestling. They're they're cutting promos
2: on each other. <laughs> I guess, but why try to fight a battle you cannot win? OU can go six and seven from now until 2040, and they will out recruit TCU. Like Texas has never succeeded more than Oklahoma, and they still out recruit us like year in and year out. These things are just constant. Like, just talk about how good you guys were last year. Just worry about your own damn self. Like, UCLA and Rutgers isn't a rivalry, if you ask me. It's like, you're just picking out something that does not apply here. Because you know what else isn't a fucking rivalry? OU and TCU, no matter how many times you'll beat us. Like, that is not a rivalry. It is another game, which is basically outside of the OU-Texas game. And to some people, OU-OSU, that is what conference OU is in. Uh, It's a conference of just another game that they have to win.
1: Now, we we beyond just our general thoughts, we did have the leadership, not only of like different programs, of the Big 12 Conference itself and Brent Yarmack and um, Tim Weiser, question mark, uh, making some interesting comments uh, about OU in Texas and the departure. You know, Brent's was a little not as insidious, I would argue, because, you know, he would say things like the Big 12 Conference has gotten 15 five stars in the last X amount of years when 12 of those have gone to OU in Texas. So really, you know, stuff like that, where you're lumping in all of the accomplishments. It's kind of like the SEC in Alabama thing early on, where Alabama's winning everything, but everyone was saying SEC. Um, you know, he, he did not, he went out of his way, not to mention the OU softball team winning a national championship, but saying we got two teams in the field of eight, things of that nature. It's like, you're not really congratulating the big 12 teams winning because they're the teams that are leaving. And so it's tough to do that when you're trying to build up everybody, but you're trying to build this collectiveness to it. And then Tim, I am completely blown away that someone of, in a conference leadership was going to say the words he said, and I do not have the quote directly in front of me, but to surmise, it was basically uh, Texas got tired of losing to K state and Iowa state and would rather lose to Florida and Alabama. And that, OU was a reluctant bride in this situation. Uh, To me, that's just complete insanity that someone in your leadership would say that publicly to a media member on camera in any way, shape or form. And that's even after like it's been widely reported. Oklahoma started these negotiations and Texas kind of came along afterward. I mean, you know, shortly afterwards. But OU wasn't like being drug kicking and screaming at the SEC. They were knocking on the door trying to get in. That's the stuff that just seems weird that you have this. I think maybe just that perspective is it's really, really fun and easy to hate on Texas. <laughs> and so you really can't say, oh, you was a leader in that because you'd have to hate them more than you hate Texas, maybe in that perspective. Uh, but these teams are always going to leave together. They could not have gone two separate ways unless one went to the Big Ten and one went to the SEC or something like that. They would both have to leave the Big 12 at that point in time. But Matt, I mean, coming from your side as like a producer or something and like you're interviewing these guys. Did that not just like shock you to hear from like someone from like a leadership position to be like, oh, yeah. And just like off the cuff, such like so like casually mention all this stuff.
0: Well, dude, it's nothing really surprises me anymore. It's all about like them saving face, right? They got to save face and they got to try to pump up their own conference to make sure that their own conference doesn't, um, you know, doesn't look look bad but i'm just saying like i feel like brett yormark has kind of done a good job of knowing that he's not going to compete with the big 10 and the sec i've talked we've talked about this a bunch like knowing okay that's unattainable i'm not going to be able to get this conference to where the sec and big 10 are but i can sure as hell get myself get this conference above the acc and the pac-12 but then these other guys just—they're—they're they're talking out of their ass, man. They, this guy was talking out of his ass right there. I, I like—I don't know what the hell he was talking about, man. I like—all of this feels like, I mean, like like scorned lover, right? Like just scorned lover being like, "Wow, I hope you feel good about yourself." Like sending these late night texts, like, "I hope you feel good about yourself. Hope whatever makes you feel better at night. Like whatever makes you sleep better at night." And OU and Texas is just like, yeah, no, we're, we're fine. We are, we are in a good spot. Like we do, we do not, we do not need you anymore. And it's going to be even more evident. I feel like as time moves on when OU and Texas, you know, when they find, when they inevitably lose a game in the SEC and then, you know, you're going to hear a bunch of chatter from, you know, Oklahoma state, Baylor, TCU, Texas tech, all these fan bases, like, Oh, you thought it was just going to be easy. You thought it was just going to be easy. And, OU and Texas are just going to be like, yeah, we do not think about you at all.
2: Yeah, and like, they're going to have plenty. do of... not
0: think about you at all. Like they're... the old tro Withers tweet, your old hoes do not think about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> they're
2: going to have plenty of time to say all that shit, Matt, because they're not going to be playing on Saturday. Their games are going to be over by Friday evening.
0: Yeah, they got a free Saturday. They got free Saturday <laughs> Just Saturdays. to troll OU in Texas. <laughs> exactly, man. But no, I no, that just, it, it literally, to me, it just seemed like, that guy was gonna try to pump it up and like at least like throw some bullshit out there and see if anybody like see if any of it stuck, because there's there's no fucking way he believes any of the shit that he said. <laughs> <Like>, honestly, <laughs> like if yeah, you put some case. truth serum in him, he's he's not saying that. <laughs>
1: And for your first time for me to ever hear your name (laughs) to to be from this perspective, like who, who can name the big 12 deputy commissioner? Well, guess what? Now you can,
3: (laughs) Uh, but, 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 do you know what his last job was before he came to the big 12?
1: No, no, no clue. No clue whatsoever.
3: And I think this is where this all started. Athletic director at Kansas state.
1: (laughs) So that makes more sense.
3: (laughs) So I look, man. It, it's very fine me listening to this because in all of this, I mean, per usual, Texas is, in the words of uh, Red Dirt, you know, the meat shield here for you and all of this. And uh, you know, the the depiction here is that Texas, you know, uh, it, you know, it got tired of losing to these uh, quote unquote inferior programs and wants to uh, lose to a different lose to somebody else, uh, which you know, I think that if you're a Kansas state or Iowa state uh, partisan or whatever, you know, it's, you you probably got kind of a point, right. Um, You know, and as for OU being the reluctant bride, you know, I mean, that, that kind of just fits with in general, the way I think people look at the two programs as a whole. I mean, not so much necessarily like, I mean, there are going to be some people that love the idea of OU just being Texas's lapdog. Right. But I mean, I think it's more a matter of like, no one trusts Texas. No one really likes Texas. No one likes dealing with Texas. They never have, you know, I mean, I think that Texas is always expected to be treated with some level of like gratitude for not torpedoing the conference like 13 years ago. And instead, you know, using the big 12 as this platform to uh, try to, uh, you know, get its embarrassment of a TV network, you know, off the ground. Um, and expect and instead expected everyone to be like, oh God, Texas saved us. They were going to go to the Pac-12. I mean, it's like a, you know, the whole thing is just silly to me. Um, and so, you know, going forward, I mean, I guess I'm just not that that surprised by that part of it. And I, I mean, you know, I every it, the more people want to make fun of Texas like that, I'm fine with it.
1: It's also just like from the, from the other perspective, just such an immense self own as well. <laughs> yeah. like they're tired of losing to us, the inferior programs, <laughs> and want to go lose <laughs> to somebody else who's more you know widely known than we are. I mean that that's just the stuff that's just kind of strange. I mean, I I, I don't know. It just seems crazy to me to me that that would happen. And you know, I saw some tweets about. I think other schools last year in the, in the big 12, uh, I would suggest if you're betting on OU Texas games <laughs> to yeah. take whatever the spread is and shrink that just a little bit. Uh, if you want to play into any controversial flags or like just a lot of holding calls, probably, uh, that <laughs> can't be challenged will probably be happening for OU and Texas on the way out this year. Uh, Brett, uh, Brady, do you have anything on, on these, on the big 12 leadership and their way out? Or do you feel like you uh, kind of dunked on enough in the general thoughts section? <laughs>
2: I mean, the recruiting thing was that was complete false. I mean, it, it was fiction in the you know most clearest of terms of what fiction means. I mean, it's just wrong. Um, what this dude said, um, I guess Texas has more money. I, I think philosophically, I don't know if this is act- actually true, but as it kind of has played out during my time as a OU football fan it feels like OU just kind of has resigned itself to just like, okay, if Texas wants to like quote unquote run things when the suits are all together, like, so be it. Like we, we get respect because we are OU, we have this legacy and this history. Like we don't need to like, well, we can do this. You know, there's really no point in just arguing for whatever reason when the suits are meeting because we know we're just going to kick their ass on the field and that's what everybody cares about. That's what we do. So if you want to, Consider that a reluctant bride, so be it. I, I I wonder though, with his history as the former athletic director at Kansas State, if this has anything to do with maybe just wrong information or old information, because I think there was a time in the early 2010s where oh, OU just maybe really didn't like the idea of changing conferences. Because I think in a perfect world, oh, OU fans, if you just remove the money, if you remove all that stuff that Nebraska fans brag about, well, we make more money in the Big Ten now. Um, if you remove all that, I think o u fans could you could make the argument that, yeah, I wish the big twelve could continue and it was a competitive conference, and it didn't uh handicap us in recruiting like it has optics wise with a and m going to the s e c and taking so many recruits from o u as a result. um you know, because like it's weird to kind of like walk away from a hundred years of history with programs, and it's like, yeah, that they suck, but you know that's that's their journey. Um, Ou's won national titles beating these SUP programs and it hasn't stopped them from winning championships um, that way. But, you know, the future is what it is. So I wonder if that's just old information that this person has just chosen to still latch on to to prove a point.
0: Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch Concoction home to sit on your lounge and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere
1: i mean yeah if you, if you were to say the NCAA somehow let's say NCAA somehow gets the Supreme Court on their side <laughs> and they're able to like you know salary cap everybody in some weird way where it's like okay now we're gonna do revenue sharing and all that kind of stuff and every program is going to get 50 million dollars across the board or something like that then first, fucking sure, keep keep OU in the Big Twelve at that point in time. Play it out. You give you get a much cleaner runway to the playoff and all that type of stuff. And that's something that, like, you no, know, obviously that was the the old argument, or at least the initial argument was, why would OU leave? They have basically a red carpet path to the playoff every single year, as long as they're good and they can beat Texas, you know, and beat their non-con at that point in time and not trip up over a game. They've got, you know, they're able to make it in as a four seed or a third seed. Every, it's kind of like a Clemson situation. Like why would they leave the ACC? They're the only team that's put everything together. Like it's all right there. Just do that. But then the issue becomes, well, what happens if that path just closes? (laughs) That's the issue. I mean, but of a 12 team playoff or whatever, you can say the path is it uh, wider than it ever has been or ever will be. And then it doesn't really matter what conference you're in. Oh, you going nine and three in the sec is going to go make a playoff just as often as oh, you going, you know, 11 and one in the big 12, uh, from that perspective beyond just the guaranteedness of the conference championship. But still regardless, um, you could even argue, go, you going nine and three gives them an extra game, <laughs> <and> more revenue <laughs> at that point in time, depending on if they're hosting <laughs> or not hosting. So, um, for that point let's move on uh alan you've kind of talked about a little bit over on the uh, in our discord to talk about the patreon of an article you've you're kind of brewing up in your head about ou and um uh, OU's brent venables and the idea of competitive depth from that perspective and it's something that uh brent harped on pretty pretty heavily at the uh at the media days speaking about how now you know hey we actually have a two deep now we've got people who can go out there and play Um he was extremely frank and honest about the linebacker crew, uh, basically saying no one knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and one of them should have been an edge rusher. Uh, uh, and David, uh, I, cannot, I can't remember his last Aguebu. name, but uh, Aguebu, David Aguebu should have been an edge rusher at that point in time, which honestly, it does suck for his professional career that he had been done such a disservice by Alex Grinch and then potentially by Brent, by having to, gain weight, then lose weight, then gain weight, then lose weight. And really, you should have kept him at 260, put him on the line, (laughs) say, go kill the quarterback. Uh, But what are your thoughts on that? Just Brent and the idea of that competitive depth and what it means for OU moving forward.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've kind of been harping on a lot too because – and again, it kind of goes back to – I actually talked with uh, Max Olson about this on one of our Patreon shows last week. Um, And, you know, the guys that OU brought in last year – I, I saw you know that like you, they rank you know the recruit the uh, transfer portal recruiting classes now for example, and like last year OU had the fourth best transfer class according to twenty four seven sports, and you know you look at that and you think oh well they must have really upgraded their roster, and like you look at who actually they did add and how they were used, and I mean. Not so much, you know. I mean, a lot of those guys. You know, a guy like Jeffrey Johnson, uh, and I've spoken on this before, but a guy like Jeffrey Johnson, for example, was playing about forty percent fewer snaps last season than he did when he's at Tulane, right? I mean, the impact just wasn't there. And so, you know, I think in a, from a lot of different ways, in a lot of different ways, you know, oh, you didn't have that competitive depth that he mentioned. Um, you know, you look at how many players use the one year kind of grace period that Benels was talking about to essentially audition to stay in the program and ended up, you know, moving out. I think 21 guys left the program in the last, uh, in the last year. So, you know, I, I think that this year we're starting to, we're going to see a team that's closer to what he has in mind uh, for his kind of program or his kind of team, going forward and you know i'm going to try to write on this this week looking at how some of the the inability to uh build depth last year really hurt them uh in a couple different situations
1: yeah i think the point i mean the stuff there that really i mean just the frankness of it and him having those conversations lets you know that hopefully he's been having these exact same conversations because when we talked about the, the linebacker stuff i'm like well some of those guys are still in the roster <laughs> he's talking yeah. about we only had three guys you know, like Shane Witter's still on the roster. And like he's just basics, like he, you know, he's not good enough to be on the field uh, to a certain degree. Really speaking up, Connor Neer and, and all that kind of stuff, it, it really shows just the mammoth undertaking that happened. I mean, Brady, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I mean, I believe uh, what what's the overall turnover? Was it like
2: 60 something players or something like that in the last two years? Well, he's got 21 that are what, still from the Riley era? Mm-hmm, on the roster, yeah. is that a Is that around right? Um, no, I, you know, I think after it was like a week or two after the season ended, I think I tweeted something out about how, hey, do yourselves a favor, and erase this from your brain that hey, six of our or five of our seven losses were on the last you know drive of the game, and they were by one score. Like, just don't do that. And that a lot of that was just the cynical view of like this was a very bad team. And the last thing you want to do is just believe that, well, the opposite will happen with another year of experience. Um, That was cynical, admittedly. um, But there's still a part of me that wants to kind of hold on to that to kind of temper my own expectations. But at the same time, when Brent is up there talking about competitive depth and all the reasons why, like, well, I mean, you know, like we're playing all these snaps. We don't have a lot of depth to kind of like give Danny Stutzman a break or Guaybu a break or whoever a break on defense. Um, by the time you get to the fourth quarter, these guys are winded and um, with competitive depth, when you're able to throw in guys that you are confident enough that they can hold their own athletically and a uh, uh, football IQ wise, that you can afford Danny Stutzman to have a little bit more energy in the fourth quarter. So maybe he makes that tackle instead of misses it, or maybe key Lawrence makes that tackle um, in the backfield instead of misses misses it because he's not t- as tired as he was in this previous year. You know, when he when he says that I just cannot help but that makes a lot of sense like and that's not even being optimistic that's just like yeah when you only have so many players you can play um, unless you just destroy somebody um, in the first quarter you know, you're going to be in a dogfight. And unfortunately, OU was on the losing end of a lot of those dogfights. I mean, they they beat OSU because they scored 28 points in the first quarter. If they had scored 20, 21 points in the first quarter against West Virginia or uh, Texas Tech, and I think they scored 17 in the first, I can't remember. But if they had scored just one more time, like they probably win those games. But the offense wasn't able to capitalize off of that early momentum. Um, I think you can just kind of say, after one year, Brent Biddle's teams are prepared. Like they, they start games off very well. The first half went very well. And if it just simply is competitive depth that is needed, then you're going to then say, well, if presented with similar situations like they were last year, um, they are going to win those games instead of lose them. Um, if, if everything just kind of breaks even. Um, but, you know, every situation is different. Every game, every season is going to be different. It's going to present its own problems. Um, and at the same time, from a talent standpoint, there's competitive depth, but you're you're competing against true freshmen or inexperienced sophomores. So um, there's always going to be that problem of we, we're all excited about Peyton Bowen and we saw his awesome interception in the spring game, but who knows what he looks like when he's playing an opponent um, and he gets thrown out there or who knows what some of these uh, Josiah Wagner. What if he gets thrown out there because the starter isn't playing very well? He gets thrown out there. The talent is there on paper much better than it was, you know, the previous year, but he doesn't know what he's doing perhaps because he's inexperienced. So you're going to find a lot of new problems that you're not, you didn't see last year. So the, the point is, is hopefully OU successes or OU's, uh, um, I guess the, the assets that they've gained overwhelm the, uh, full inherent flaws that are still on the roster, which would result in more wins. I, I do think there's a perspective.
1: You talk about the, uh, 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 issues or whatever, but now you've got enough. You've got other people to throw at the issues. <laughs> you know, can they solve the problem? You know, last year they had Justin Burles, and that's who was out there. You know, from that perspective, of the competitive depth, they didn't have anyone else to put out there who knew the playbook enough, you know, who knew the assignments and things of that nature. And now they do. You know, you, you know, even if there were, let's you know, say he, Justin was on, I mean, I, I, you know, he's the, he's the scapegoat. I understand that the whipping boy, but, you know, if Justin Burroughs were on this team, uh, you know, in 2023 and he's earned a spot, but he's just getting beat you've got a bigger, you've got Peyton, Bowen. when you can toss that position, you know, you've got somebody you could put back there and say, hey, we're going to do this. And and Brent Venables even mentioned it himself. And again, it, like Alan said, it's hard to trust these guys when they're talking about the success of their own team and where they're at. But, you know, when Brent was saying, hey, I, I stuck with the old guys too long. Like I should have put in some younger players and maybe that's on me, you know, for just keeping guys out there as long as I did. Uh, when you could have... I don't know. If you put out somebody younger, you put out one of those freshman or sophomore out there, maybe you do squeeze out a couple more wins. But at that same time, what if you end up frying that guy? Like what if he becomes, um, who was the cornerback who everyone thought was going to be great, but then he played against Tulsa and just got completely evaporated? Uh, Jordan Thomas. Manasaur.
3: Jordan oh, Thomas was another one that had a lot of Yeah, little
1: Manasaur. Little yeah, issue. Manasaur is the one I was thinking yeah. about too, but it's like, Everyone's can, super excited, and then he just gets burned one time, and then, then you know, just doesn't have the ability. He's got the yips now or something of that nature. And you have to play that through. You don't want to set in bad expectations or something like that. Uh, Matt, Matt, uh, Matt, I want to get on from your perspective. I mean, now that you're able to see this, you're able to look at it and go, okay, wow, uh, you know, OU's had basically a roster turnover, which it's hard to think about it because, you know, the University, University of Oklahoma, almost always a top 10 recruiter you know, sometimes often not a top five recruiter, but he had to return over like two thirds of its roster in two years in a way that's not, you know, desirable. (laughs) It wasn't like, Oh, everyone's going to NFL draft and bringing in, you know, future NFL draft guys. It just has happened. This type of turnover doesn't happen unless it's like Matt rule at Baylor, you know, that type of thing where it's like, we're just, everyone get out, you know, and we're starting over. Um, Is that something that's hard to kind of keep in your mind and keep reminding yourself? And as a fan, do you think Brent gets like, okay, one more year of grace because of that? Or is this like, was the grace period over?
0: No, I mean, I think he should, right? I think he should get get another grace period because, I mean, it was obviously, I'm not breaking any news. It was just not good last year. And I don't think that it was – again, I don't think that it was like Brady said, I don't think they were ill prepared. I don't think it was, I I just, I really do think that they were between a rock and a hard place as far as the guys that they could throw out there. Right. And you don't want to. And Brent even said at big 12 media days that he's like, yeah, we probably should have played the young guys. Like we, we probably should have just played the young guys. But again, you get into that part where like you guys were talking about where you, you throw out a young guy and, uh, if he gets lost or gets burned, then I mean that could it kind of shake his confidence forever, and then you then you just kind of lose him. Um, so I I would say that just like looking back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. When you look at some of the guys that they had out there on defense last year, that would like just getting picked on, right? I mean it was the there was something about David Aguebu and and Justin Broyles just like the most targeted defenders mm. in the country on third down or so. It was, it was something to that effect, but basically on third down, uh it was every single team like, okay, where's Justin Broyles and where's David Aguebu? Cause that's who <laughs> we're, that's who we're targeting every single time. And, you know, it, it was, again, I, I hate to make them like liabilities, but still like that, that's kind of what they were. It was, it, they were kind of liabilities at, at times and um the competitive depth you know, buzzword buzz phrase that was going out uh, at big 12 media days from Brent, man, for me, like, that's kind of what I've been liking. I mean I, I mean, I remember even saying like Bill Connolly, whenever he was saying that, OU has no depth. And I was like, I mean, I get that. Cause it's hard to project young guys who haven't played, but like for us being as close as we are to this, like you kind of feel good about where they are. Whereas last year, you're not going to throw anybody out there. Right. Like David Guaybu is not getting his spot taken at all because there's nobody there. And now it's like, or, or like a Justin Broyles or somebody, like nobody's there now, uh, Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence, if you guys aren't getting it done, Hey, we got, we got, we can throw this freshman out here. We can throw Like we're not gonna be scared to do that. Like, I like, I don't know if I'm like drinking the Kool-Aid or anything about the competitive depth, but at least I, I feel better. Again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I feel better about their depth this season than I do last year, but that's probably more so just because they didn't have any. And some is better than none uh, when it comes to depth. But man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of talking. I'm tired of the talk, man. I want to see it. I want to see it actually be- in practice.
2: I'd be interested. I don't even can't even remember if he even mentioned it last year on during preseason what Bill Connolly thought of OU's depth last year, because like you're right, like it's it's hard to project like talented, but inexperienced freshmen, um, because on paper, there was a reason why people thought, OU would still win the Big 12 last year. And it wasn't just because it's the O and the U interlocking symbol on their helmet. You know, Dylan Gabriel, people think highly of him. Uh, people think highly of a lot of this talent, and they did for a reason. So, um, the depth is certainly in a better place, and it's probably in a place where Brent will feel more comfortable that if somebody does screw up and get picked on, like if, like Woody Washington's a really good player, and especially like a guy that in coverage I can count on. If he has a game like he did against TCU, where it was just bad and it was just an outlier in his career, just a bad day. No, no worries, big guy. You're just having a bad day. I'm sure Brent could say, yeah, we're going to, you're going to ride the bench today. It's just, you're not in the cards. We're going to put somebody else out there and uh, put them in uh, positions to succeed, not to take your position, but to build that depth and just give you a breather. You know, you're going to be fine next week. Don't worry
0: about it. To, uh, to kind of like answer, obviously your original question, Peyton, sorry, I got a little carried away. Um, But I remember last year, right, it was the, Hey, what we overturned. 46 or 48 percent of the roster like mm-hmm. i can't i can't remember the exact number but it was in the 40s and then this year epic told me i don't know if you guys caught it but when he said that 93 of the 127 players yeah are in, in their first or second year on campus that made me perk my ears up for as good as i feel about like the depth which i feel fine about right i don't i'm not like over the hills about it over the moon about it but that that made my ears perk up i was like oh we're preseason we're throwing out a stat already that i'm not sure that i really care for and it feels a lot like the hey we just turned over 48 of our team stat <laughs> that started getting thrown out there whenever you lose like three in a row
1: yeah yeah that's the hard part it's like understanding yeah OU does have talent they should be competitive but they're still growing they're still young then it's kind of a thing like I don't know. I remember for a long time, Texas, like six years in a row, was a young team. Uh, I couldn't figure it out or something like that. I mean, OU was entering into that type of phase where it could just be kind of perpetually young for a little bit uh, as, there, as ever all this stuff gets built out. And and Brady, to your to your uh, statement on uh, Bill Connolly on that part of it, I think he even mentioned it afterwards, after that last season, was uh, needing to tweak his formula when it came to G5, to Power 5 transfers, because OU got a lot of snaps from that which helped in returning production, but you didn't know if you could count on that production actually being worthwhile or actually playing. And that, that was the issue that, Oh, you ran into is you brought in all these guys with snaps and stuff. And you're like, Oh, here we go. And then none of them played, or if they played it was very, very sparingly. The real, yeah, the know, real issue. Oh, go ahead, Alan.
3: Oh, well, I was going to say one last point on this too, for me, at least is, you know, I think that if you wanted to mount a criticism of Ven- Venable saying, oh, okay, well, we didn't have any competitive depth last year. I think that, you know, you could say, well, you didn't coach like you didn't have competitive depth. Um, you know, I mean, because I, again, you know, you're, you're putting the defense on the field for so many plays by running this up-tempo style. Right. But, and here's the way, where I look at that too. And, you know, I, I think that Brent last year, made a lot of kind of long-term decisions at the expense of the short term. There are things that he could have done for, you know, running the offense, offensive tempo slower, something like, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, that's not what he envisions he wants in the long-term, the program to be. And like, you know, if he had coached this team, you know, in his first year, like a team that didn't have a lot of competitive depth, maybe that sets them back in terms of long term where they're going and that was the kind of trade off that he was willing willing to make and i i'm assuming he pro- that was kind of you know something that was discussed between him and the athletic department as well if i had to guess
2: i think a unique thing about last season and i wonder if this is still going to be this thought might hold water as we get further and further away from it I wonder if last season was a unique year for OU in terms of the recruiting class is more important than the football that's being played. Because I don't know how many years you could say that about any OU season since 1947 when Bud got hired. I don't know if you could say that with a straight face about any season. Um, If Brent had gotten the feeling that us losing is negatively affecting our incoming recruiting class. So we need to win games because some of these recruits that we thought we had in the bag are getting a little like, I'm going to go take another visit to Oregon or blah, blah, blah. If you, if that could have been the case, then maybe Brent kind of says, well, the important thing is getting talent in the program and that's the important thing. So we need to win games now. So put out the kids, maybe we overwhelm them with talent across the board and win some of these nail biting games, but he didn't get that feeling because he didn't do that. Um, we went six and seven and we still signed uh, one of the best classes in the country and brought in talented uh, positions of need that will help this program be SEC ready. So I, I, I truly wonder if the further we get away from 2022, um, that you could have that thought and not be seen as, oh, you're just trying to justify going six and seven. I will say, if you want to look at that perspective, you just
1: talked about throwing out the young guys. If you want to parse out anything, it's very hard to parse out anything from these types of games of of any matter. You can just look at the Florida State game, and you can. The OU played much younger, obviously, because they had people opting out and, you know, uh, uh, NFL draft, and all that type of stuff, and injuries. I mean, OU played much younger there. You got the full complement of both Barnes and 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 saltchuk at that point in time, you know, running the football. I mean, it was a. I don't know, it seemed kind of, you saw Guyton out there. I mean, you saw the future to a certain degree. You saw a young team get beat by, you know, what was being painted a couple of months ago as like the hottest dark horse team in the <laughs> nation in Florida State. That has completely evaporated because, you know, we've moved on to other hot teams. Uh, but, the, you know, a, a potentially really, really strong team at that point in time. Uh, but moving on, the last uh, last thing from the Big 12 media days, we've got the uh, the sister... Uh, sister, sister, uh, University in the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State University's head football coach Mike Gundy being asked about um, about the, about bedlam, in a kind of just being fed up with it. And honestly, from his from that very perspective of being fed up, I would hate to be asked this question a single time. <laughs> but he has to answer it every time he steps in front of a microphone. It seems like the state of bedlam. What's going to happen to it? Are they going to play again? And basically, just tossed everything in OU's hands and said, they left, that's on them, see you later, never happening again. Um, very much like the Mountain West is doing to San Diego State University. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess there's some carryover there. Um, but Alan, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, because it does seem like I believe other Oklahoma State uh, teams and programs or potentially trying to line stuff up with OU, like baseball and basketball and things of that nature. Uh, Do you think it's lockstep all the way down? Or is this a Mike Gundy is being Mike Gundy? And it's like, I'm now in front of a microphone and I'm getting as much attention as I can.
3: This is exactly like what used to happen with Texas and Texas A&M, where they'd say, Oh, so when are you guys going to play again? Oh, well, it was their fault. Mm -hmm. It's their fault. It's Mike Gundy did not say one thing differently Then he is, you know, then he's said since, OU announced that he's leaving. It's the same thing over and over and over. But because he did it in front of a microphone at Big 12 Media Days, it gets some juice. I don't know. I don't care. I understand where they're coming from. It would be a total pain in the ass and potentially really expensive to move all the to move non-conference games around to try to get a home and home going again with OU in this case. I mean, I get it. I and if they're salty about OU leading the Big 12, if I was in, in OSU shoes, I would be too. That's just how I'd feel. It's the same way I've felt since Gundy started talking this way. It's the same way he's, it's the same thing he's articulated for however long now. Like this is just such a, a non story at this point to me.
2: Yeah, I'm tired of talking about Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy. I'm sp- we've beaten them 85,000 times and we're going to beat them again this year for the last time until at least 2037, Mike. So um, I don't care. I truly don't. They're just another team on the schedule that OU has to beat this year, just like they always are. Yeah, that's the hardest thing to me. It's... it's... (laughs)
1: I do understand the plight. I do understand the uh, the actually the very real financial, you know, uh, obligations or, uh, you know, ramifications. This move does have, you know, I mean. Uh, and some of that stuff does worry me for the state, for the state of Oklahoma. I mean, yeah. you know, University of Oklahoma has like, you know, rural hospitals and rural clinics and the rural health and stuff and that they invest in greatly. Which that stuff's going to be somewhat impacted, you know, to a certain degree. I mean, if you can't bring in as much money and all that type of stuff, or if the money starts drying on the vine and things having to get shifted around stuff, I do understand that. Uh, and in response to that, University of Oklahoma has been increasing, you know, their health and all that type of stuff on that side of it. So, you know, OSU can look at stuff and say, hey, we're just being kind of squeezed out of what we were doing. So, you know, that that's that perspective as well. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not a guy who wants to see rivalries go away, even if they are completely, lumped, well, you know, uh, one-sided. I mean, you can look at the Iron Bowl. I mean, it would take. I think what Auburn's like sixty games behind or something like that. I mean, it, it, it's not that close of a, a rivalry as well. But I don't think people would be beating the drum of saying, you know, Auburn Alabama needs to go away. And I understand I Auburn has won national championships, <laughs> so it changes the game there. Uh, but I just don't. I don't know. I, I hope there's some reconciliation. More than likely, obviously, have to happen once. Mike Gundy is no longer coach Uh, NFC if if we can get something where it's like they they played three times out of a decade or something.
2: I could be wrong. This might have been an overplayed factor in why the Big 12 continued after the initial teams left in the early 2010s. But um, I know it wasn't the sole reason, but wasn't a large reason why OU remained in the Big 12 was because other conferences didn't want to take Oklahoma State and Boren wanted to keep OU and OSU together. Or like state regents got involved, like so. Like I'm sorry, like I just I can't hear the the "woe is me" crap. Like I get that OSU's, at least in terms of their football program, uh, their financial success is directly tied to that game being played because there's a reason why they. uh, If you want bedlam tickets, you got to buy season tickets. You know, OU doesn't do that for the OSU game. You want to buy the OSU game ticket? It's for sale. Buy it. I get it, but I mean OU at least a part, a portion of their decision to remain in the big 12, uh, dealt with, we need to keep our tie with OSU, the IE, we need to help OSU. And we held their hand for the last decade and they did nothing to help us. You know, it's like they did not build their program up to a point where, um, the big 12 was seen as like a much more formidable conference than it actually was. And so now OU in a, position where they realize if we want a future as a blue blood um that's where the money is going Uh, this is where recruiting is going we need to join the sec because the big 12 and oklahoma state to some extent is not helping us so i'm sorry it's just the way it is
3: yeah you know it's funny there was this perception developed that like for some reason, politically, OU and OSU were always going to be tied together. And so when you know the rumors came out about OU going to the SEC along with Texas, everybody's like, "Oh, well, that won't happen because they've got to they've got to go somewhere with OSU." And I I told people from the very start that that wasn't going to be the case. That it was more a matter of a you know, like you mentioned Brady David Bourne, I think really wanted to keep the two schools together. Um, I there was no there was nothing, I. My understanding is OU was in a lot of ways trying to look out for OSU during the last round of expansion, and it just, you know, didn't come to be.
1: Uh, I want to correct myself before anybody dunks on this. Uh, Turns out Alabama does not have a giant lead over Auburn as much as that. I think they have like a six or eight, seven game lead over them. So uh, (laughs) there's some other SEC rivalry that's like somewhat ballyhooed that Alabama's like
2: completely destroys them. Uh, I think they went through a little period of time in their history where they didn't play each other either for some reason that's correct so that's one of the weird things about sec it's
1: been around for a really long time like 100 years or something like that uh but these teams have played each other like 40 times max across the board or something you know yeah florida and alabama uh, have played like i think 50 something times which just blows my mind but it's just a different i mean they went to their conference stuff way way sooner than anybody else did i mean the division stuff way way sooner and so you just weren't playing those same teams um uh, over and over and over again uh Moving on from Mike Gundy, sorry, sorry about you. Uh, maybe he'll he'll watch this if there's a, a an, uh one American News uh, recap of this podcast. Uh, OU has uh, <laughs> OU is uh, making waves, bringing in finally a heartbeat and a pulse on the defensive line, getting Jaden Jackson. Uh, I think a consensus, not consensus, a composite four star recruit via twenty four seven, a three star on some other uh, sites. of That has been rumored. That this was a, a move to solidify uh, David Stone's commitment to the University of Oklahoma. Again, that's rumored. There's rumors of him, uh, of, of uh, a father figure wanting the two to play together. And OU quickly turning this from what it seemed like a first sure first Texas commit into an Oklahoma commit in like a span of a week uh, from this point in time, getting some beef on the line. Matt. What do you think about this? Do you think this is do you think the dominoes can start falling? We're going to start seeing the defensive line really come together. This is the first bit of it. This is the money being dropped, and everyone's saying, Here we go. Finally, we right. use back.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I don't know anything. It did feel like, Hey, this changed rather quickly, and I wonder why that is, <laughs> you know, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I wonder how that happens. Um, so now, Listen, and to it coming out, the, uh, apparently, like, David Hicks is – or not David Hicks. Oh, geez. Sorry. Uh, David Stone uh, is in the, the commit group chat already for the OU commits. Like, it's just – there's – yeah, I know. There's just a lot of weird stuff. And it's just like, what the what the hell are you waiting on, man? What the hell are you waiting on? But, no, I, uh, again, like, there's a bunch of commitment dates out there for for July – I do think this somewhat gets the ball rolling. I think like if there's a, 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 big, big time recruit, like, let's say like if a Tater Taylor Tatum ends up uh, committing to OU, I think you could see that definitely be a, a kind of a snowball effect, but I mean, this is good. I mean, this guy, what, he's like almost 300 pounds already. Like, Oh, you need some big guys. It's like, Oh, you need some big guys in that interior, that defensive line, man, it, it needs to happen. And Hey, if that, if this helps, Oh, you get David Stone quicker than yeah, sure. That's an added plus
2: quicker. Yeah,
0: just kidding. No, that'll, 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 <laughs> he's never going to commit.
2: The season will start next year, and he's like, "Oh, oh God, oh right? God."
0: Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Is it Schrodinger's commit? Is he Schrodinger's commit? Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 no, it, this is this is certainly huge. Um, it's going to be really really nice to sign the best defensive line class since the Selmans. That's going to be. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, but this is the first part of that. Um, I think if you're at all plugged into recruiting, you know, as casually, like even the casual uh, OU fans that are into recruiting right now, I think they have an understanding that the, the targets that OU is after they're trending in the proper direction and that um, anything like speaking of David Hicks, like that factor probably won't take place like it did last year at the last second, because OU is at least, um, allocated its resources into the proper um, spaces in order for things like that to not happen. So I wonder if the David Hicks thing might be a blessing in disguise as we get further and further away from it as like Brent Venables kind of thing of like, Hey guys, do you not want this to happen anymore? Well, here's what you got to do. Got to play. Yeah. They do things differently in
1: the sec. We got to be able to do that. We have to at least be able to, you know, be at the table. Yeah. From that perspective. Uh, if you guys are not aware, um, please do not buy all the hope when it comes to the Jane jackson uh, commitment uh, graphic i do, uh i don't think every one of those silhouetted people uh, are going to be who they are uh that would be great if it were uh, if you haven't seen it uh, i think this is now the second commit who's used the exact same graphic and then their silhouette fulfilled you know came alive it's, or whatever it's uh, pikachu yeah it's that <laughs> type of thing uh if oh you were to get all of those guys it would be uh uh and signed Brent Venables to a lifetime contract at that point in time <laughs> from that perspective. Um, but that kind of wraps us up everything that we needed to talk about or wanted to talk about. Do we have anything else extra or housekeeping-wise, guys, that we may have missed or I may have missed uh, driving the show?
2: I think that's pretty much it, at that's least for that. right now.
1: Oh, you uh, softball
0: just... got another commit. Carly Keeney, pitcher out of Liberty. That's
2: right.
1: That's
0: she was, right. She was great for Liberty. That's she was the reason why Liberty was really good, so... Just a quick note, sorry. They they've got their pictures in so.
2: Was she homesick Is the, is she from
0: Oklahoma? I think so. Yeah, she was <laughs> okay, homesick. It's going okay. around. If she's God, if she, she wasn't come home. If this, she wasn't, she will be after a season in Norman. I'll tell you that much.
2: This terrible scourge homesickness. <laughs> Prayers for no everybody.
1: So I want to say, everyone, thank you for listening for the full show. Uh, If you're still around, remember, you can support us and come join the uh, family, come join the team over on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. If you want to check it out right now, I have the third and final part of the uh, Cheetah position series. Uh, I talked about Isaiah Simmons and kind of what he did in that position, being a, I know, I call him a unicorn. uh, I don't think uh, 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 Deshaun McCullough will be playing in the deep middle safety position as much as Isaiah Simmons was. And he kind of like, was the pinnacle of that position. So we may need to stop comparing those two (laughs) as much, uh, one played it from like as a giant jumbo safety. I think Deshaun's going to play it more as an edge guy who can drop. Uh, and I think that's a little bit of a difference there, but we've got stuff coming down the line. We have a a Cincinnati, um, uh, blogger update pretty soon. We have stuff coming from Alan, the competitive bout competitive depth article and other things coming down the line as well. Uh, but yeah, come and join us. Uh, also, thank you again, Vanessa House, for checking us out. They've got some new uh, new brews. I've seen on a thread on their threads account. Seems to be fun. And then uh, Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails in Norman or Oklahoma City. Go join them out. They do have like an underground basement speakeasy bar type of situation where like five people can get into. It is pretty cool. Uh, but thank you guys for joining us uh, and for uh, heading us up. Follow us on the socials uh, at Keyhole Podcast, pretty much across the board. If not find us where you can find us Matt get us out of here
0: boomer sooner